If you are new with us this morning or you haven't uh, picked up on it, part of what we've been doing in 2023 is we've been celebrating our 50th anniversary as a church. So we gave out these towels, which I forgot to wave mine a couple times this morning. We already talked about it. We are remembering, celebrating, and advancing this year. So if you didn't get one of these, there's, there's extras. You could still have one, and uh, I won't even charge you for it. It's, it's a bargain. Uh, anyway, God was moving in this area in the 70s. He was planting churches. He was saving people. We were seeing revival happen. And one of the things that happened 50 years ago this month, our church opened its doors to the public. Uh, we started meeting in Carnegie in the Masonic building. And I, I threw up some pictures this morning. Uh, these are some things that were happening 50 years ago. If you look in the upper left corner, you may recognize the guy that was uh, playing and singing this morning. Uh, so there's Randy. The Masonic building is where we used to meet in Carnegie when we first started, uh, down in the lower right corner and the lower left when we moved up the hill to the library building in Carnegie. Uh, there's some various people on the screen there that I'm not going to take the time to tell you who they all are. If you've been around that long, you probably recognize some of them. There's Michael Parrish when he's only this tall in that picture. <laughs> That's pretty amazing to be faithful to the Lord and to still be connected to the family that you grew up in 50 years later. So we'll talk more about what was happening at the church in 1973 on Friday night. We'll tell you the stories of the founding and and share some memories of what was happening. But if you think about it, 50 years is a pretty significant benchmark. It's It's a pretty significant amount of time. And you start to think about the things that happened 50 years ago as history. And uh, there are some things that were happening in the world around us, not just at the church in, in 1973. Uh, so go ahead and uh, throw those up there. The Vietnam War was ending. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's a, a significant piece of history. Uh, that picture in the middle is the first cell phone. 1973. The first uh, cell phone call was made by an executive at Motorola. Isn't that pretty amazing? I think you had to use both hands and have your friend help you hold it up to your ear. Uh, So what else was happening? Watergate scandal happened that year, which eventually caused the resignation of Richard Nixon. Uh, Down in, in the corner in the left, the first designated hitter was used in Major League Baseball. So the design, yeah, boo, there's boos for the purists in the room because it's, it's in the National League this year too. Uh, but that's the, the guy from the Yankees uh, that was Ron Blomberg was the first designated hitter. So there's a piece of trivia for you if any of your friends ask. Dave Mara probably already knew the answer to that because he knows all the stuff from the 70s. <laughs> uh, and then also on the lower right, the first space station was launched in 1973. How many of you know what it was called? Oh, anybody just yell it out. Skylab. And then they had to launch Skylab 2 and Skylab 3 because of all the issues they had with the first one. But that was 1973. And then obviously one of the most important things that happened is Trace Ombres was released and ZZ Top wrote LaGrange. Come on. You got, I got some, that's back when ZZ Top wrote good music. Come on. Come on. We're, we're going to work that in somehow. Yeah, this is before they had all the beards. Come on, that was, that was a pretty significant event that happened in 1973. One of the other things that happened in 1973 that I thought about is my dad was only 30 years old. Have you, how many of you ever stop sometimes and you think about what were my parents doing and feeling at the age I am right now? 
Did you, ever, did you ever stop and do that exercise? Like when you were 30, did you think about, what were my parents thinking when they were 30? Or when you turned 40, some of you aren't even 40 or 50 in this room. All of what were your parents thinking when, they, when you were six months old? Uh, some of those times, it's, it's good to start thinking about those things and remembering so we can celebrate some things, but then move forward in them. And a lot of these things on the screen, a lot of the things that we're talking about, they seem like distant memories at this point. 50 years is a long time because at some point, the past turns into history. And we, we start thinking about history, and, and history really is a part of what we remember, things that we learn from. History shapes our culture and who we are. They, they shapes our values and how we look at things. And I saw this quote this week. It says, knowing your history gives you the tools to shape your future. Knowing your history gives you the tools to shape your future. And I, I was thinking sometimes that things, it seems like the only thing we learn from history is that people don't learn from history. Come on, do you ever think about that? They, they talk about the past, re- history repeats itself, but we're always talking about, hey, what comes next is unexpected. Well, why is that? Because people aren't learning from history. But if we're really honest about it, history will help us shape how we see the future and what happens in our lives. And I think as Christians, history shaping our future is especially true. Because if you've been walking with God for any length of time, we should be learning about how faithful he is. We should have testimonies that we're accumulating of, look at what God has done in my life. If nothing else, we should be able to look at our history and and think, my God, thank you for what you've saved me from. Thank you for the things you've delivered me from. Thank you that I have experienced forgiveness. These things that we're talking about in history, as Christians, we should value them because it's going to shape how we look at the future and what we think about God. As we've grown together, we've learned the value of family and community. There's so many things that we can take out of history that shape the future for us. And whether you're 50 years old or not in this room, you're experiencing the legacy of something that God planted in this region 50 years ago. There are very real, tangible benefits that come to us and flow to us from being connected to a house that has a legacy like new life. Come on, I got one amen this morning. Nobody else, you don't get the legacy if you didn't amen. Just the one, just... Come on, it doesn't matter if you amen or not. If you're part of this house, you get some blessings flowing to you because of the faithfulness of God, the testimonies that we've accumulated, the things that we've seen him do. And I want to talk this morning about a couple significant 50s in the Bible. That's what we're going to look at is some things that uh, God did in the... uh, Please hear me on this. Numbers aren't magical. Okay, there's, there's nothing about secret numbers in the Bible. If you're looking for secret codes, stop. Just do the stuff that's in black and white first. Do the, do the stuff that you're reading in print. But there are times, there are things in the Bible that are significant that I think we can use to stir our expectations, to, to let us see, God, this is a faith builder. I see what happens when I, when I see these patterns. And history, history really does repeat itself in some aspects. And God's faithfulness is seen again and again. So I want to look at a couple 50s in the Bible. Uh, the most famous 50-year period in the Bible. Does anybody know what it was? It was the year of Jubilee. Everybody say Jubilee with me. That's, that's a pretty fun word to say. Jubilee literally means to be joyful or to exalt. There should be something that people can see on the outside when you're experiencing Jubilee. You are excited about it. Just like everybody I'm looking at in the room this morning. Come on, practice with me. Make, make your best joyful, exalted Jubilee face. Just, just look at me with it. 
That's awesome. Now, now look at your neighbor and give him your best jubilee face. <laughs> Come on, that's so good this morning. There should be something that we could be excited with each other about. There should be something that we're willing to share the joy that's in our lives for other people. We've heard it several times, even during worship and what Heather shared this morning. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves. When God is moving and doing something in your life, it should be on the outside as well for you to share with everybody else. We'll unpack why you should be excited about 50 being the year of Jubilee in a minute. Uh, I'm just going to back up, though, and tell you how they get to the Jubilee in the Scripture. Uh, Moses was talking to the Israelites. He had come back from receiving the Ten Commandments. He had been meeting with God, talking about what should I tell the people, how should we follow you. And when Moses was communicating the regulations of the law to the Israelites, there were certain things that they worked into the calendar. They had different feasts they celebrated. They had different Sabbaths. They had things that they celebrated. Come on, in the Old Testament, if you're curious about this, there were a lot more feast days than fast days. I, I just think that's a good one a reminder to throw out there since on, on, if you're following the liturgical calendar in religious circles, we're in the middle of Lent when it's all about fasting and giving something up. And, and I think when we look at the pattern of Scripture, when Jesus was around, there was a lot more celebration to be had than, than debasing ourselves or fasting. Not, come on, I'm in a mess now. That wasn't in my notes. I don't want to de- devalue the practice of fasting. If you need to buffet your body and, and get things out of your life to, to hear God clear, that's great. You need to do it. But also, I think Jesus was about rejoicing while the bridegroom was with us. And he is with us. Come on. He, he came in this room this morning when we worshiped. I know he's here because I brought him in with me. He, he is present this morning, and that's part of why we rejoice. So one of the things that Moses told them to do, though, is they had a Sabbath year. Every seven years, they had a Sabbath for the land. And this is what it says in Leviticus 25, verse 4. It says, the seventh year is to be a year of complete rest for the land, a year dedicated to the Lord. And for those of you that, that don't know or you're not tracking this morning, Sabbath is the, the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it literally means to rest. It means not do any work, to rest, to, to, to lean back and to say the work has been done for me. Man, there's so much to unpack in that. It's, it, the Sabbath was based on when creation happened, God worked for six days and then he rested. And he said, you're supposed to also rest. There's something about the human condition that we need to rest. And it is actually one of the Ten Commandments. If you're reading through the Bible, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't argue about the Sabbath day. Come on. I've heard people say, oh, it should be Saturday. It should be Sunday. It should be, we should keep those Ten Commandments and post them. It's not really about a day of the week. Come on. It's about learning to live from a place of rest being a person who observes the Sabbath all the time because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he did the work for us so that we can live from a place of rest. Don't argue about the commands and the days of the week. Just know that Jesus did a finished work for us. So on this seven-year Sabbath, when, it, when Moses was given these commands, he said literally, do not plant anything or harvest any crops in the seventh year. And I think it's amazing. It really shows you something about God's heart in this command because Moses said, whatever grows by itself, 
If there's stuff left over from last year, it's seeded itself, it just grows, don't you touch it. That's for the poor among you and the people that don't have a family, the aliens among us. Isn't that amazing that even in that command you see God's heart for the downcast and the poor and the downtrodden in life? So they, they were supposed to rest from their labors. And also on that seventh year, in Deuteronomy 15.1, it says, At the end of every seventh year, you are to cancel the debts of those who owe you money. Yes! Everybody say, woo! I only got one woo on that. We, we get excited, we woo-hoo the part about people canceling the debt that we owe them. But then we think about, oh, I got to... Get rid of the debt I owe you too. Uh, in, in case there was any question, Moses actually went on, this is how you are to do that. If you've given anybody money, cancel their debt. Like he had to be specific about it twice because how many of you know that's a hard thing to let go of, to cancel people's debts that owe you something. Um, God said, if you do that, you will be blessed. That's what he told the children of Israel through Moses. He says, if you forgive them their debts on this seventh year, you'll be blessed. I want to tell you, there are still blessings associated with forgiving people of their debts. And I'm not just talking about money. For those of you that are very literal and and understanding things, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about letting people off the hook for what they've done to you, for something that you think they owe me or I'm going to hold this against them. There is a blessing. I can't even tell you the relief that comes, the weight that comes off, the things that go better in your life, the blessing that is released the moment we let people off the hook and forgive them their debts. And on this side of the cross, you don't have to wait for a seven-year signal to let people off the hook. Come on. Don't, don't hold on to it. Oh, it's, it's only been six years. I don't have to forgive them yet. Come on. Stop. Just let, let go of it. You will be blessed if you forgive people their debts. So God told him, let people off the hook for what they owe you financially. That's what he said to the Israelites. And he also told them, don't, don't refuse to lend to somebody just because the seventh year is about to come up and you're going to have to cancel their debt. Come on, I know how I would roll in that. It's, I'm like, oh, it's five, six years. I'm not giving you any money because next year is the Sabbath. God, uh, you read through the scripture with an eye for it. God's very interested in us being generous and helping one another. There's something about it that we get so hung up on it. And the Israelites, they didn't do much better than we would have done with this command. They, they, they were good about like, hey, we're not going to sow any crops on the seventh year. But they weren't so hot at forgiving people their debts. If you read through the Bible, that's part of why they ended up in captivity in Babylon, because they weren't forgiving people of the debts that they owed them. I bet they were sitting around arguing about student loan and credit card debt. And we're not going to go there this morning. I got other things to say. Um, So the Sabbath year, they'd let people off the hook for their debts. They wouldn't work the land. They would rest in in what God had done. And they would repeat that cycle. Every seven years, they would have a Sabbath year. And they did that seven times. That's pretty cool. Seven sevens because... Oh, I, I just told you not to worry about Bible numbers, but seven is the number of completion and perfection. God's very interested in that. So after seven times of having seven-year periods, they would have a year of jubilee, or you could call it a super Sabbath, I guess. That's what they would do is they would say, we've celebrated this year of Sabbath rest for the land for seven years. Now we're going to blow trumpets, and we're going to celebrate and call it the year of jubilee. So 
what happened in the year of Jubilee. And Oh, gosh, there's so many things going off in my mind. If you're looking for another 7-7 in the Bible, on the seventh day, they marched around Jericho seven times, and the walls fell down. Their enemies were defeated. So in this year of Jubilee and after seven sevens have passed, expect your enemies to be defeated. Expect some walls to fall down and things that have been uh, after you in your life, things that have been uh, standing against you. Expect that to happen this year. Can, I said it before, it's not magic. It's not a formula. I just think God does things in certain times and seasons. And this is a season to stir our expectations for the, thing, the things that we've seen him do in Scripture, the things that we've seen him do in our lives. Let's have an expectancy. God, you can do them again. You're, you're moving in this time and this season. We're expecting walls to fall down. We're expecting enemies to be defeated. So the Jubilee year happened after seven sevens. And what was different about the 50th year? Jubilee brought freedom, forgiveness, and restoration. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Those are words we all need. Those are words that should be flowing in our lives. We should be experiencing freedom and forgiveness and restoration. All, on the year of Jubilee, all debts would be forgiven. Not just the people you lent money to, but anybody from another country, from your own countrymen, all the debts would be forgiven. Anybody that had sold themselves into servitude would be released. They said, you're free to the slaves. They would say, you can go home and be with your family. We're releasing you and giving your freedom to you. All the land, come on, think about this with me for a second. On the year of Jubilee, all the land would be returned to its family owners. So at some point in history, if your mom or dad had sold the farm to somebody else because they needed money to pay debts, that farm would be given back to your family at the end of 50 years. How many of you know that's kind of a radical thought? That's, that is a different way of doing things that set the Israelites apart from the other nations around them. They, you really have to trust God to say, oh, this land we've been working and getting these crops, we're going to give it back to your family because it's the year of Jubilee. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And that, all those things that they did, those radical practices, think about what happened when you're giving land back like that and you're canceling debts. It eliminated generational poverty because there was always going to be a reset. And, and things were going to be returned to your family. It, put, it gave everyone a fresh start and put you on level playing ground with everybody else. Come on, think about the things that that did. It put everybody on equal terms. It kept a few people from hoarding all of the land and lording it over everybody else. It forced rest and simplification of life. Because they did do don't sow or reap any crops at the end of the 49th year, but then they didn't sow or reap in the 50th year also. So you had two years of not working your land. Talk about, we had two years of staying home from COVID and we almost went crazy. Talk about being forced into rest and simplification of your life when God says you're going to take the next two years and don't work your land at all. I... I think there's a lot of attitudes and things that we have in society happening right now towards work and labor that are messed up. They're out of whack because we've gotten away from the practice of rest and Sabbath and Jubilee. God, help us when we we become to a place where we don't know how to stop and simplify our lives. That's what happened in Jubilee. It was reiterating God's desire for people to be free and rely on him. 
And as, with, as it is with most of what you see in the Old Testament, how many of you know a lot of what you read in the Old Testament? They are pictures of what Jesus came to make spiritual realities. Come on, don't, don't read the Old Testament. Don't read the Bible as just a flat book if it's all the same stuff. The Old Testament were pictures. They were types and they were shadows of what Jesus came to bring in our lives, what he came to fulfill. And the year of Jubilee was also called the year of the Lord's favor or the acceptable year of the Lord. That's pretty cool. There, there weren't any other years that, that God called them acceptable. But the one where you're forgiving everybody's debts and releasing all the slaves and giving land back to people, he says, that's, that's my year. That's the kind of year I like. That's the one that's acceptable to me. And the year of the Lord's favor, if you remember it, when Jesus got up in the temple, they gave him the scroll, and they said, we want you to read this passage. And they handed him a scroll that was open to the prophet Isaiah. This is what Jesus read in the temple that day. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' job description was to come announce jubilee to people. It wasn't just the timing of it being a 50th year or in the natural, this is what was going to happen. Jesus said, the attitude, the things that happen on Jubilee, I've come to make them permanently available to all of you. I've come to restore sight to the blind. I've come to give freedom to the captives. I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus was declaring that there was a spiritual, never-ending Jubilee that was about to dawn on humanity. I think that's our job as well, by the way, to declare those things and to live that life, of, a life of jubilee that's available for everyone around us. And he went on after he read that. He looked at them in the face. He closed, he closed the scroll. He sat back down and he said, this day, that scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The fact that I just read it to you, that I'm here on the scene, that's what's happening so this concept of jubilee wasn't just for every 50 years in the Old Testament. Oh, we got to, man, I picture the Old Testament guys like, oh, I got to give the land back next year. That's not what it was meant to do. It was meant to stir generosity and, and help us to love our fellow man and bear one another's burdens. And Jesus came and said, that's what's happening right now through what I'm about to do. Man, think about the things that Jesus did that relate to jubilee. All of our land that was lost was restored. And you might be thinking, what land? I never owned any land. How many of you know in the garden somebody surrendered the world to the enemy? That Adam said, here, I'm, I'm going to give you the dominion. What I'm supposed to do in the land, he turned it over to the devil. Jesus came to restore the land that was lost. I want to tell you this morning, we, we've got it backwards. There's so many people, they think, well, the world's so bad because the devil's in charge. He's not in charge anymore. Remember what happened on the cross where it says that Jesus defeated every enemy that was arrayed against him? We're sitting here acting like the devil's in charge of what happens in the world, and that's not true. Jesus came and proclaimed jubilee and says, the land has been restored to you. Come on, whatever ground you thought you lost, whatever you thought you surrendered, Jesus made a way for you to have authority in that area again. He's restored the land to us. In the year of Jubilee, all the debts were forgiven. How many of you have had debts forgiven by Jesus? Come on. Every, 
Am I talking to the right crowd this morning? How many of you have had debts forgiven by Jesus? Isn't that an amazing thing? You didn't even have to wait to check the calendar to say, is it the 50th year? Can I ask for forgiveness for this? Jesus came to proclaim Jubilee, and we got to say, Lord, everything I've done, I thank you. It's forgiven. All of those debts that were on our ledger are wiped clean by Jesus coming in, declaring Jubilee over our lives. Ah, Jubilee put everybody on level playing ground. He said, hey, there's, I'm going to cause a big reset. Maybe you know what the cross did is, is Jesus came so that there's no longer slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. Everybody is on the same level field because of what Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, whether you're male or female, what, what kind of job you have, what color your skin is. None of that matters because of what Jesus did on the cross. He made us one new family together. And part of it is because of that picture of Jubilee. So I'm going to encourage you during this 50th year, what are you expecting? Are you expecting to experience the forgiveness of debts and the restoration of land? All these things that Jesus came to declare over us, are we expecting those things to happen? If you look at it, <laughs> I wrote this note because in the Amplified, Luke 4.19 calls the acceptable year of the Lord, calls it the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. I just, I don't know, but I thought that sounded cool to me. They're, they're not just, there's not just favor of God coming to me. It's profusely abounding. That sounds pretty cool. If somebody at work asks you this week, how are you doing? I want, you to, I want somebody to tell them when they say, how are you doing? I'm profusely abounding. I, I might pay money for that. If you come and tell me a story of somebody at work asked me how I was doing this week, and I said, I'm profusely abounding, I will take you to lunch. Come on, you can put that on the recording, you can write it down. That, that will happen out of my own pocket, because that's awesome. First come, first serve, though. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm thinking about all the loopholes I could get out of this now. Come on, I think that would be awesome. How much of a conversation starter would that be? For one of your workers to be like, how you doing? They think you're just going to say fine. You're like, I'm profusely abounding. And they're like, what? Tell me more. What an open door that would be. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. I'm living in the year of Jubilee. Isn't it awesome to be alive right now? How many of you know that's a conversation starter that would give hope to the world? Man, I'm... I'm just thinking, uh, do I get credit for it? If Tammy, if I see Tammy in the office this week and she says, how you doing? I'm, I say, I'm profusely abounding. And then I'm going to take myself to lunch. That's, <laughs> oh, it's going downhill quick. Uh, in that verse in Luke chapter 4, why did the year of Jubilee come? Why did Jesus say that that was fulfilled in, in your hearing? Because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And that ties into the other 50 in the Bible that you see all the time is 50 talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on people? When, when did that happen? That happened on Pentecost. You know that Pentecost is, comes from the Greek word for 50. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, that wasn't a trick. I wasn't uh, trying to rope you into something. Pentecost means 50 because literally 50 days after the Passover, they would celebrate Pentecost. Jesus was crucified at the Passover. 
And 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out as promised upon all flesh. All of the stuff that happens in the year of Jubilee happens because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. <laughs> oh, remember that story? They were all together. The day of Pentecost happened. Supernatural stuff started to happen. People were speaking in tongues. They heard the mighty rushing wind. They were hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. And people, it got their attention, to say the least. Can we just say that? When, when we let supernatural stuff start to happen in our lives, it gets people's attention. And they sat and they, they were listening. They were fixed on what Peter was saying. Peter began to preach. And he, he gave this great message. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and add to the church that day about 3,000 in all. What are we expecting for in Jubilee? What are we expecting the Holy Spirit's able to do as we're celebrating 50 this year? Is it too much for God to save a town in a day? Is it too much for God to save a city in a day, a save a nation in a day? Come on. One guy got up and preached, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people came and were added to the church. Pentecost, interestingly, was also called uh, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. First Fruits, you don't hear that often outside of church. Any, anybody used first fruits in a normal conversation in your day-to-day life in the last 10 years? There's, there's no hands going up in the room anywhere. Well, I was just taking some of my first fruits. What does that mean? First fruits, they, were, they gave offerings out of the first part of what they harvested. God has been so faithful. God blessed us so much. Look at all these crops. We're going to take the first and the best and give it to God. That's what first fruits meant. It was representative of the fact that the entire harvest belongs to him. On the feast of first fruits or the day of Pentecost, 3000 people were a down payment. They were the first fruit of the harvest that was to come. A harvest that is 2.6 billion people strong today. That's just the people that are alive in the earth today, not the ones that are already in heaven. I don't even know that number. Come on, 3,000 were the first fruits of a harvest of billions. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit is still at work converting the world today? The job's not finished, but it's not too big. He's able to do it, and he moves through our lives. He moves through us being ones that go out and proclaim freedom to the captives and sight to the blind. Man, everybody say that's good news. We ought to be excited about that. There should be some jubilee happening on our faces and in our lives. Uh, Part of the gospel, part of the good news is that we receive the life of God through the Holy Spirit. The the eternal. How many of you have heard the phrase like, you know, pray and get saved and receive eternal life today? How many many of you know eternal? I love this because I heard it one time from somebody I really respect that spoke. And her her name was Winnie. Um, she was preaching one time, and it just struck me. So, so interestingly, she said eternal life is not just about a length of time as much as it is a quality of life. There is something of eternity. There's an essence of eternity that begins to break through into our lives the moment we believe and we receive. 
And that eternal life comes by the Holy Spirit coming and taking up residence in our lives. That's part of the good news is the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us. Do you ever, do you ever think about, like, do you ever see some of those, those movies that come out and they're all about people doing exorcisms or demon possession or scary things? Come on. I'm not asking if you've watched them. I'm just saying, are you aware of them? Because a bunch of people were like, I'm afraid to raise my hand in church right now. Come on, they make millions at the box office. Why is that? Because for some reason, people don't seem to have a problem with thinking that there's spirits that could possess people and, and they live in people and they cause them to do weird things. The world doesn't have a problem with that. Then why would we be afraid or ashamed to tell people the Spirit of God is real and can come possess you and dwell on your life? He comes to make His home with you and makes you His very own possession. Why would we back down from that when the world celebrates? Look at the scary things where the devil comes and possesses people. Come on. The one who lives in us is greater than the one in the world. And we ought to be willing to tell people, do you know what? God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can actually come and live inside of you. To to the point where you become like Paul, who says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. What a place to get to. Why would we be afraid of cheering that on and telling people that's part of the good news that you get to receive? The Holy Spirit comes and proclaims jubilee in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes and causes dead things to come back to life. Come on, that was one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit of God is who raised Christ out of the tomb. And he promised to give life to our physical bodies. The Holy Spirit brings dead things back to life. How many of you know people that need something dead to come back to life in their life? You know... For those of you that are very literal, I'm not talking about just physical death. There are other things that can die. Relationships and our dreams and our hopes. The things that we value can be taken from us. There are things that have died that are people all around us are longing and praying and hoping for life to be restored. And it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is part of the good news that uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2.24, he's talking about Jesus and he says, God raised him from death, setting him free from its power because it was impossible that death should hold him prisoner. It was impossible that death should hold Jesus prisoner. It's impossible that death should continue to hold your lives prisoner. Whatever it is that has died, we can believe and speak life to it. You, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, whoever it is, the Holy Spirit can bring life to dead things. So when we're celebrating 50 years, I'm believing for and expecting, and I already see it in some extent. I see the, the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. I'm believing for the Holy Spirit to move in such a way that resurrection life is flowing back into people's lives, that it's increasing. The amount of eternity that's breaking through in our, our lives is on the increase because we're celebrating this jubilee year. What are we expecting? There's a bunch of things that I can't make happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. If, it's, if, it is on, if, if New Life Fellowship's future is dependent upon Chris in his own strength, you guys are in trouble. There, 
I'm just rethinking about who's, who, whether or not Randy's going to get to sing on Friday night right now. For those of you that couldn't hear, that was the loudest amen I've ever gotten from Randy. If we're, if we're relying on Chris, we're in trouble. And Randy's like, amen, preach it. I'm just thankful you're still awake at 20 after 11. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us all. Um, <laughs> I'm going to end. i got to end. Let's land this thing. Oh, what, what have we been waiting to see happen in our lives? What are you longing for? What are you expecting? What, what are we looking forward to? Is it salvation of our friends and our neighbors? Are there people that we're praying for and believing for? Is it, is it being released from debts? And come on, spiritual or natural? I don't care. Which one are you expecting? What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What do you need to see happen in your life? Is it freedom from the slavery of addictions? Is it freedom from disease and depression? Whatever it is, what are we waiting and expecting to see happen in this Jubilee year at New Life Fellowship? We have a legacy of these things in our church. There have been people that have seen miracles and seen things happen, and we're believing and expecting for Jesus to continue to do it again. So this is the action item for you this week. This is an easy one. Expect. Whatever it is, whatever you're expecting for, whatever you believe that all those things that we saw in the year of Jubilee and all those things that we're talking about, what are you expecting to see happen in your life? That's awesome. The worship team is trained. They're coming up on cue. I didn't even. Fantastic. What I would like you to do this morning, as we're expecting, I would like you to tell somebody before you leave church today, before you, before you leave this building, tell someone what you're expecting. And it could be a variety of people. I'm going to give you some options. There's going to be people from the ministry team up here to my left. And back there in my, on my right, which would be opposite for you guys, there's going to be people from the ministry team there to pray and believe with you. But that could be an option. Go tell somebody on the ministry team, this is what I'm expecting this year. This is what I'm believing for God to do. You could stop by the, the connection point in the foyer. Tell somebody there, this is what I'm expecting. This is what I'd like to see God do. Or if you're very brave and you're willing, you might not even know the person sitting next to you, their name. But you could tell them, this is what I'm expecting God to do in my life this year. What are you expecting? That's, that's a good place to start on a Sunday morning. This is a safe place. This is not what I asked you to do going back to work and telling somebody <laughs> that, that you're abounding and prospering. This is not that. This is a safe place to just practice and look at somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm expecting God to do in my life. What are you expecting? You could even take a moment to pray that for each other. Just bless each other and see what God wants to do in our midst this year as we're celebrating 50. Let's go ahead and stand together. And if you're, if you're in this room or you're watching online this morning and you've, you don't know what it would even feel like have your debts forgiven, to, to be in a place of jubilee or Sabbath rest. Maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus this morning. You could do that. It's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on that cross so that I could know you. 
God raised you from the dead and I call you my Lord. It's that simple to start a relationship with him this morning. If you need to do that, I invite you to come see us up front or send us a note if you're watching online. We'd love to pray with you and, and help you facilitate that relationship. Let's pray. Father God, we honor you this morning. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you've been cared enough to tell Moses, to tell people about a year of Jubilee, to start that practice because it was a picture of what you wanted to do in our lives through Jesus. Lord, I ask that as we celebrate this year, stir us, Lord God, help us in our expectations that we could believe in what you promised to us. God, we are desiring to see you move again, to see you do things, to experience that freedom and that jubilee. And Lord, let us be faithful to carry it to those around us, ones around us that are in need to hear the good news. Let us be faithful carriers of that message. We just say we love you and we honor you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to take some time to worship. If you need to go, you have plans, you're out the door, you are free to do that. Uh, but otherwise, you're also free to stay, worship with us, tell somebody what you're expecting this year. God bless you guys and we'll see you Friday night here in this room. RCA night.